I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the true story of Jennifer Corbin. This is a woman who had followed the rules and she realized those rules were not working for her. Her husband, Bart. He was not as successful as he wanted everybody to believe. And a dark sexual obsession. Some of the emails were very, very raunchy. You know, it's amazing this this mother of two would come out with stuff like this. That would destroy a family. Calculating, planned, no emotion. It's about as cold a murder as I've ever seen. Beware. Extreme passion can lead to shocking consequences. It's fall 2003 in the exclusive Atlanta suburb of Beaufort, Georgia. Beaufort, Georgia is a, is a wonderful place. It's very upscale. It's beautifully landscaped and laid out. And uh, it's a place a lot of people aspire to live in. It's the kind of town where neighbors are good friends and children can play outside after dark. Just a quiet area. Great place to raise a family. Bart and Jan Corbin are among the happy couples who call Beaufort home. They've lived in the area with their two young sons since 1999. The Corbins were generally well-respected and well-regarded. They had good friends. They're, they were active in the community. Bart is a dentist, and Jen teaches part-time at a local preschool. It was the classic soccer mom, doctor dad kind of family. But this picture-perfect image conceals a troubled marriage. From the outside looking in, no one could tell at that time what was going on inside that house. Bart has recently made a big decision and relocated his dental practice. He enjoys being his own boss. But a few months into the new lease, his business has yet to take off. Bart had problems with his practice. He had a terrible, terrible temper. 
and there were several complaints from patients that were abhorred by some of the work he'd done to them uh, when he'd lost his temper. Bart is determined to hide his struggles by projecting an impressive image to the outside world. He was not as successful in his dental practice as he wanted everybody to believe. So he was under a tremendous amount of financial pressure, and yet he wanted to live a certain lifestyle. He bought a new sports car. He changed his wardrobe. He was dressing even nicer. My immediate suspicion was, I wonder if there's a midlife crisis going on. Bart's spending creates even more financial strain. Yes, this is Dr. Bart Corbin. He had this fantasy of what his life would look like as a successful dentist. If you cut off my electricity in the office, you can't expect me to pay the electricity bill at home. He felt entitled to living this extravagant lifestyle, which he was finding was very, very difficult to afford. Estimate that. His escalating money troubles are leading down a path to self-destruction. But he won't go down it alone. The one person who can calm Bart down is his office manager, Tara. She lavishes attention on him and caters to his every need. I think Bart was a player. He liked women, he liked good cars, he liked to have a girlfriend on the side, maybe. And their flirtatious rapport becomes a passionate relationship. Bart started an affair with his office manager. They started, you know, staying behind after work, making love in the office. For Tara, it's a welcome distraction. And it was really the perfect scenario for him because she was married with children, so he wouldn't have to be obligated to her, but he had complete control over her. He was having the affair because he could. <laughs> and he liked to have sex. I don't think he required any more motivation than that. He wanted to have sex with somebody, then he believed he was entitled to it. And if his wife didn't like it, that was kind of tough. Bart's after-hours affair allows him to indulge his every desire but it will come at a steep price. After months of trying to support her husband through a difficult time, Jen begins to question why Bart's long hours in the office aren't turning his business around. She expressed to her sister Heather at one point that she believed that Bart was having an affair. This really had a negative impact on her. It really interfered with her self-esteem. Then one day, Jen decides to stop being sad and take action. Instead of confronting him, she makes a silent promise to win her husband back. She started her midlife crisis. She started working out and running all the time. Jen, as a nurturer, what nurturers do is they put a lot of responsibility on themselves to fix everything, do everything, make everything perfect. What she said was that she was trying to do it for Bart, trying to make it better for Bart. Jen is convinced she can save her marriage, but nothing she does seems to be enough for Bart. During the winter of 2003, the couple argue more than ever as they continue to grow apart. Things were starting to unravel. A lot of their communication with each other had broken down. It had reached a point where they were no longer sleeping in the same room. Bart's disapproval devastates Jen. She begins to withdraw 
But I think that she realized that it had come to a point where, regardless of what she did or, or the amount of effort that she put into the marriage, um, that it was not going to work. She was embarrassed. She felt ashamed of the way things had turned out. And she didn't necessarily want to deal with it in front of the people that she cared about. Deprived of the love she desperately needs, Jen feels she's reaching a breaking point. One day, after her younger son leaves for school, Jen goes online to try and take her mind off her crumbling marriage. Jen had some time on her hands. You know, during the day, she was free to stay at home and play computer games. The game allows players to create characters and interact with one another. She had ample time to engage in this game where she would enter into a fictitious or a fabricated world. She's still a person who needs to connect and be with people. This game was a way to not only take her away from the difficulties of her life and take her to another place, but it also helped her to connect with other people, which is something that gave her a lot of pleasure and joy. One day, Jen is online when she gets a message from a man named Chris. Chris was a character they met in the context of the game, and then they began to communicate through the, through the chat function. Chris and Jen seemed to have an instantaneous connection. Jen kind of felt in sync with this person who was lonely in the world, and she started to really open up in a way that she hadn't opened up to anybody in a very, very long time. Christopher told her that he was a wealthy Southern gentleman looking for love. Jen told him about, you know, she was in an unhappy marriage. Chris is attentive and non-judgmental, and Jen finds herself sharing her deepest secrets. For Jen, it was such a feeling of relief to be able to be open and honest with somebody and to feel connected. Before long, Jen is spending hours every day playing the game. And much of that time, he spent chatting to Chris. There were times when they would be sending, you know, between them 100 emails a day. Jen found herself really not only being invested in this game, but looking forward to speaking to Chris. Every time she'd log on, she'd look for him, and she really enjoyed this connection. And in fact, this was the highlight. He was the highlight for her in her day. One day, Chris sends Jen a suggestive email makes it clear he's interested in being more than her pen pal. My characterization of the emails would, I would construe them as erotic. Jen certainly wasn't the type of person to have affairs. This was certainly not something she ever imagined herself doing. But after months of isolation and a lack of intimacy with her husband, Jen finds she can't resist. This emotional intimacy that Jen has with Chris turns sexual in nature, and they actually start engaging in a full-fledged cybersex kind of affair. After Jen's reply, the relationship quickly takes on a new sense of urgency, and the pair exchange sexually charged emails for the next few days. They discussed having sexual relations with each other and got very detailed in terms of their wants and desires. Some of the emails were very, very raunchy. It's amazing that this mother of two would come out with stuff like this. 
Cyber sex relationships can be more intense, can feel more intense, because you're dealing with fantasy more than reality, and fantasy is always more perfect than reality. But then, the conversation takes a disturbing turn. Chris sends Jen an email describing some of his violent sexual fantasies. Jennifer, mm, as aggressive as you are today... Today, would, would you, you take, take a revolver-type gun and load one bullet in it, rotate the revolver, place it to my forehead, and pull the trigger as I orgasm? Do you have that in you, Jennifer? Jen is shocked by Chris's suggestion. What he's asking for is way out of her comfort zone. But she soon finds herself questioning how far she'd go for him. With her marriage falling apart and her life in shambles, Jen is torn between abandoning her fantasy or continuing down this path of pleasure. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? 
Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Jen Corbin's perfect suburban life is cold and lonely behind closed doors. But with her marriage crumbling, she seeks comfort in an online gaming community and becomes involved in a passionate internet connection. Jen fell head over heels in love with Chris. A knight in shining armor had come. Now the affair has taken a very dark turn into violent fantasy. Would you take a revolver, place it to my forehead? Do you have that in you, Jennifer? At first, Jen isn't sure how to respond, but she doesn't want to leave Chris hanging. Jennifer replied, hmm, yes, that one is scary. And no, I couldn't because I wouldn't be able to forgive myself if the gun went off. I want you in my life. I couldn't take it. But the thought does have a rather nasty appeal. where Jen's vulnerability really becomes apparent because in the real world, Jennifer would probably reject somebody who asked for this kind of far out, violent, sexual preference. But because at this point, Jennifer felt so connected to Chris, she was hesitant to do that. She really needed Chris. At the last minute, Jen plays along with Chris's violent fantasy and the floodgates are opened. For weeks, the pair exchange a flurry of lurid emails, each with a twisted subplot. They were doing a lot of role-playing. And it's not just new sexual highs she's experiencing. Her emotions are soaring, too. She basically bared her soul to Chris, and Chris was telling her things that would be considered very intimate. Jennifer felt like Chris was her soulmate. You would almost think they were people who actually had met and actually had had sex. After months of keeping her affair a secret, Jen is considering taking her relationship with Chris offline and meeting in person. But she'll need to find a way to hide it from Bart. Jen's obsession with online gaming hasn't gone unnoticed. He wasn't happy that she was spending so much time on the computer. He griped about it even though he's having an affair with his office manager. Bart is used to having his wife's full attention when he gets home. So he now suspects there might be another man. Bart becomes suspicious that she's having an affair with somebody, and he starts to try and find out who. He begins snooping through Jen's things. It's one thing for Bart to reject his wife. It's another thing for her to dismiss him. That wasn't part of the agreement, at least not in Bart's mind. Determined to find out what Jen has been up to, Bart begins watching her every move. Meanwhile, Jen is quietly making plans for a future with Chris. She wants to take it to the next level. She said, I really want to meet you. I want to see you. She said, I go out and, you know, every man, I pretend it's Chris. And she was putting more and more pressure on. And while Chris insists he wants to see her, something is holding him back. 
Well, initially, Chris would make excuses and play for time. But eventually, Jen was so insistent that Chris you know, decided to tell her the truth. But that's when things started getting strange. In November 2004, Jen's demands to meet finally forced Chris to make a stunning confession. Chris sent Jen an email revealing that he was in fact a she. And her real name was Anita. Jen's whole world fell apart. The man that Jen had imagined looks nothing like the slim, dark-haired woman that she's actually been having an online affair with. Anita was living in Missouri. She was married with, with a kid. She was just a normal mother to the outside world. She wasn't Jen's knight in shining armor who was going to rescue her. It was almost like they were operating by two different rules in this game. Anita was playing a game, and Jen wasn't. For Anita, assuming different identities was all just part of the game. But Jen never played that way, and Anita's strategy strikes her as deceptive and cruel. There's a series of emails that go back and forth where Jen is very accusatory. Why did you lie to me? You know how vulnerable I was. Anita apologizes to Jen for misleading her and begs for her forgiveness. But finding out the truth about her virtual lover is too much for Jen to bear. She felt hurt twice, in a, in a way, because she was already being abandoned by her husband, and now she has this, this woman man who lied to her, who she had fallen in love with. She felt betrayed after all of this information that they exchanged back and forth, after all of the plans they'd made together. Jen is left feeling hopeless and completely alone. Jen had felt sucker-punched by that reveal. It was a, a really, really huge betrayal. She spends several sleepless nights wondering what to do. This is a woman who had basically followed the rules. And somewhere along the line, she realized those rules were not working for her. Then from the depths of her depression, Jen makes a shocking decision that will take her to new heights of pleasure and danger. Three-year-old Jen Corbin thought she was ready to start a new life with her online lover, Chris. But the man she was going to leave her husband for isn't who she thinks he is. Chris sent Jen an email revealing that he was in fact a she and her real name was Anita and she'd been masquerading as Chris for months. At first, Jen is devastated, but then she has a moment of startling insight. She'd realized this was somebody that she loved and maybe this transcended the sex of the person. And she told Anita that she'd like to carry on the relationship and it would be a lesbian affair. In spite of the deception, Jen decides to try and rebuild their relationship. This person had become a part of Jennifer's daily life. This is what Jennifer looked forward to. She probably really missed the interaction of connecting. The two women resume their online affair with exactly the same passion they had for each other before. And it wasn't very long before they were right back at it. 
their reconciliation leads to an explosive lesbian cyber affair. And even though Anita's gender has changed, she repeats the same violent fantasies that she first suggested when pretending to be Chris. Many of the emails were totally X-rated, very, very raunchy. One asking if Jen would take a revolver and hold it to Anita's head and pull the trigger as she orgasmed. She probably was feeling sexually charged and excited, and so excited she didn't really have time to think about what this really meant. And again, this was in the fantasy mode. It's a strange but thrilling experience for the married mother of two, and she can't get enough. Jen Nisa's relationship progresses. They realize, you know, they're in love with each other and they want to be together. And they started talking about, you know, actually meeting, you know, in real life so they could consummate their love. The two women agree they should meet in person once the Thanksgiving holiday is over. But before Jen can start a new life with her girlfriend, she needs to get rid of her husband. has been eyeing Jen with suspicion for months. And even as he carries on his own affair with his office manager, he becomes convinced and enraged by the thought of Jen with someone else. He has no proof, but he isn't one to wait around for that. Bart seemed to be under a lot more stress. As he became more stressed, his controlling nature that he had got worse. He was a person who needed to be in control of every aspect of his life. He needed to control his business, his finances, his family. Bart's frustration and resentment builds, prompting him to speak to his lawyer about a divorce. Hi, David. It's Bart. But that choice comes with a high price tag. I jokingly said, well, I hope you better break out your checkbook. You're telling me that she can have an affair and keep my money? Bart is still under a tremendous amount of financial pressure. And he can't afford any additional expenses. He didn't want her to get anything. He wanted to get the house. He wanted custody of the kids. He won't back down. So to avoid an expensive split, he decides to build a rock-solid case against Jen. In Bart's mind, if he could make his wife look really bad, and if he can present her in a horrible light, this would benefit him financially some way in the divorce settlement. He wanted to leave her penniless. He wanted to get the house, not pay child support. I think he just wanted to destroy her. Several tense days pass, and although the couple is in turmoil, they make plans to celebrate Thanksgiving with Jen's family. Bart was acting very strange that day. He sat by himself in the basement, didn't say anything to anybody. And just as things were getting going around six o'clock, he suddenly came up to the front door and announced that they were leaving. Come on, let's go. It's a shock to everyone, but Jen doesn't want to argue in front of the family. She gathers the boys and they get into the car to go home. On the way home, they stopped so Jen could buy some milk or something. Bart had his opportunity and he started rifling into her purse. Inside, he finds emails exchanged between Jen and someone named Chris. She 
she had saved and printed some of the emails, and he read them. And he finally finds what he's looking for. He finds a printed out email from Chris that obviously indicates the relationship is more than just a friendship. It's exactly the kind of proof Bart has been looking for. When she came back in the car, he confronted it with her. What is that? It's nothing. As she was driving home, he was screaming at her with the two boys in the back, and he hit her across the face. Enraged by the thought of his wife with another man, he has no idea that Jen's lover is actually a woman. I don't think he ever made that connection. He believed that his wife was having an affair with a man. Knowing that Bard is trying to build a case against her, Jen is terrified. She was ultimately concerned that Bart would characterize her as an unfit mother and that he would seek custody of the two boys. Jen probably realized right around this time that there was no easy way to get out of a marriage with Bart. Bart was going to fight her every step of the way. I'm sorry. A few days later, Jen contacts Anita to tell her what's happened. Are you okay? There was a lot of paranoia going on in the house. Jen was always watching Bart because he was spying on her, and Bart was trying to get ammunition, you know, for the divorce. I don't think I can come right now because... She breaks the news to Anita. They can't meet. The thing was, she couldn't leave the house because if she did, it would be abandonment, and she'd lose her claim to the, the estate, and it, you know... So she stayed in the house. Jen is now trapped in her own home, but she refuses to give up hope of being with her online lover. On the evening of December 3rd, 2004, Bart goes out for a drink with his brother and some friends. Jen brings the boys to her neighbor Kelly's house. They got together every Friday night for cocktails and stuff, and they had a nice night talking. And then later that night, Jen went back home and started emailing Anita. Even though Bart is watching her every move, Jen continues to stay in constant communication with her long-distance love. She was on the telephone with Anita up until about 10 minutes until 2. The two women make plans to be together forever. And her head full of happy thoughts of the future, Jen finally goes to sleep. The next morning, on December 4th, Callie, the Corbin's neighbor, hears a frantic knock at the door. Jen's oldest son is outside. What's wrong, sweetie? Calling for her to come quickly. He was looking very, very upset and worried, and he told her to come over to the house. He thought at first his mom was asleep and then he was afraid. Concerned for her friend, Kelly runs to the house. So he led her into the bedroom and there was Jennifer Corbin dead with one bullet wound to her head. Kelly immediately dials 911. At 8.01, police arrive at the Corbin's house and they quickly secure the scene. The uniform officers were led into the house through the front door. They made a cursory look through the entire house, and then they focused in on the bedroom. Jen's body is on the bed with a gun next to her, 
and divorce papers nearby. She has her nightgown on. She does have some paperwork that is around her. There's a cell phone in near proximity to her. It looks as if the depressed housewife has killed herself. We have no signs of forced entry, no signs of robbery. There's no signs of any physical violence. So on the surface, it appears to be a suicide. But then investigators notice something suspicious. The gun was slightly under the comforter. It wasn't on top. So it seemed like she'd be moved after the death. This tragic suicide is beginning to look like something much more sinister. And the search for suspects will lead investigators into a twisted trap of jealousy and betrayal. In December 2004, 33-year-old Jen Corbin is found dead in her home with a single bullet to the head. At first glance, it looks like a suicide. But the clues soon point to foul play. The gun found next to Jen's body is under the comforter, giving investigators the impression she was moved after her death. And the entry point of the single bullet wound also appears suspicious. There are certain things that are not adding up, certain things that are atypical with this scene. The medical examiner's report confirms that Jen was murdered. Now, police are eager to talk to anyone close to the victim. The first person on their list is Jen's estranged husband, Bart. They track him down at his brother's house. Yes, yesterday, yesterday at noon I saw her. He'd been out all night drinking with two friends and he'd spent all night with his brother and his brother had backed that up. Bart's story checks out. So the investigators turned their attention to other people connected to Jen. Detectives started putting the pieces together and they discovered that, in fact, Bart had been having an affair with his office manager for several years. Tara is married and has children of her own, but her long-standing relationship with Bart makes her a person of interest. Tara is asked to come in for questioning. She was initially interviewed by the police and denied any involvement. I was at home with my husband and my two kids. And when she provides evidence, proving she was nowhere near the scene of the crime, she's ruled out as a suspect. Next, police examine Jen's phone records, trying to find out whom she spoke to the night before she died. They discover that just hours before her death, Jen made a phone call to a number registered to a woman named Anita. Unsure of the connection between Anita and Jen, the investigators dig further. And what they find stuns them. Anita and Jen were lovers, making plans for Jen to leave her husband. Investigators obtain a warrant and begin looking through their correspondence. And that's when they found out about the emails. Jen and Anita had exchanged explicit fantasies online that sometimes veered into lethal violence. They were very sexual in nature. They were very graphic, and there were some connotations about objects and guns and bondage. And one email in particular gets their immediate attention. Would you take a revolver type of gun, load one bullet in it, 
rotate the revolver, place it to my forehead, and pull the trigger as I orgasm. It's a potentially damning piece of evidence that could implicate Anita. Anita also could be a suspect because she knows everything about Jennifer. She knows where she lives. She knows about her schedule. So she's also a realistic option to look at. Could Jen's death have been an accident during a risky sexual encounter or a murder perpetrated by a crazed lover? Police still have no hard evidence to identify the killer. When they get a mysterious tip, from nearby Augusta, Georgia. Detective squad. The anonymous caller heard of Jen's death through a friend. She tells the police they might want to take another look at the suicide of a woman named Dolly 14 years earlier. Dolly was described as a good student, very friendly. She was beautiful, she had dark hair. Everybody described her as sort of the life of the party. Strangely, many aspects of Dolly's case bear a striking resemblance to Jen's. They both had shots to the head. There were guns uh, near the hands, and they were both being ruled suicides, but both women would not seem the suicidal type. But there is one astonishing connection between the two cases. Dolly was Bart Corbin's girlfriend in dental school. Police are left with more questions than answers. Now investigating two potential murders. They're about to uncover a cold-blooded plot that begins years before and ends with Jen Corbin's final moments. Police in Beaufort, Georgia, investigating the murder of Jen Corbin, have hit a wall. But then they get a tip that turns their case upside down. Detective got a message from a woman saying that she used to be at medical college with Barton Corbin. And 14 years earlier, his girlfriend had died in identical circumstances the shot to the head and he'd been ruled a suicide and suggested he might want to take another look at that. Just like Jen, no one could believe that the vibrant and successful dental student would take her own life. Investigators examine Dolly's case in the hopes it will help them solve Jen's murder. And when evidence from the crime scene is reanalyzed, her death takes on a whole new meaning. They reopened it and started looking more specifically at blood spatter analysis. And then they determined that, in fact, was not a suicide. And in talking to Dolly's family, the investigators learned that she, like Jen, was making plans to leave Bart Corbin. It was an identical death to Jen Corbin. It really pointed the finger of suspicion at him. The likelihood of two deaths happening in the same kind of way is so unusual that it becomes unlikely. Now the police are dealing with what could be a double homicide. They want to speak to Bart, but he refuses to come in for questioning 
and still maintains he was at his brother's house when Jen was killed. They started going back and started looking a little bit more closely at his alibi. There was not a hard witness or, or a hard fact that would put Bart Corbin at his brother's house at 2 a.m. on the night that Jennifer was killed. The investigators turned to people close to Bart, hoping to uncover a new lead. And an interview with one of the Corbin's neighbors calls Bart's alibi into question. Between 1.45 and 2 o'clock in the morning, he said that he heard Bart's truck drive through the neighborhood. And he had some modified exhaust pipes on it. And he looked up and he saw the taillights parked in the place where Bart usually parked his truck. With testimony now placing Bart at the scene of the crime, the police can bring him in for an interview. Can you tell me about a woman named Dolly? He denied any part in either of the murders and uh, said he was totally innocent and accused police of making him out to be a monster. I told you I was with my brother. As Bart continues to deny any involvement, the investigators focus on the key piece of physical evidence from the crime scene, the gun. A trace of the weapon's serial number leads the investigators to Alabama. We very quickly realized through the cell phone data that Barton Corbin had been in Troy, Alabama to visit a friend two days before Jennifer's body was found. They reach out to police in Birmingham and are directed to a man who confesses that he gave Bart the gun that killed Jen. This was literally the smoking gun for the case. And after they could ID where the gun had come from and put it in Bart Corbin's hand, the defense case literally fell apart. Bart may have been driven to murder by his desire to avoid a costly divorce, but there could be an additional motive, something even more ominous, which he may have discovered the night he saw Jen's emails. Coincidentally, her lover Chris shares the same surname as Bart's murdered girlfriend in dental school. So it's very possible Bart connected the two in a way that they weren't really connected. Bart may have thought that Jen was close to uncovering a secret he'd kept hidden for over a decade. I think that led him to the path of murder because, you know, he got away with this murder 14 years before. If Bart thought that Jennifer was trying to reveal a murder he committed 14 years ago in the divorce case, he would have been very motivated to stop that from happening. Police confirmed that Anita was nowhere near Jen's house at the time of the murder, and she is never implicated in the crime. In preparation for the trial, the prosecution pieces together the sequence of events on the night of December 3rd, 2004. He drove back to his house with nothing more than the truck key. He had a copy of the divorce papers with him. Bart quietly sneaks inside the house, trying not to wake his wife and two sons. When he came into the room, Jen was fast asleep. He took a pillow. He fired the gun through a pillow straight into her head. She died instantly. Then he pulled her up over the bed to reposition the body, put the gun near her hand, put the divorce papers alongside her, and staged the suicide. 
December 15, 2006, Bart Corbin appears in court to face charges in Jen's murder. As Bart Corbin walked into the courtroom, family members of his murdered wife fought back tears. There's all of this trial preparation. It's very tense. It's going to be very difficult for the families to sit through a trial like this, very expensive. In a surprise move, Bart pleads guilty to the murders of Jen and Dolly. He admitted killing Jennifer Corbin and Dolly. He did not give any specifics of why he did it. He did not explain his motive. There was a very dramatic moment at the trial. The victim's families breathe a sigh of relief. After getting away with murder for 14 years, Bart Corbin is finally going to prison. In the wake of the tragedy, Jen's two young sons and her devastated family are left to pick up the pieces. What's left are those two little boys who are left alone. Their father's in prison for life. Just the pure senselessness of it. Both Dolly and Jen fell prey to the same seductive man who was hiding the cold heart of a killer. Bart just really thought he was smarter than everybody else. He got away with a murder, you know, for 14 years. Why couldn't he get away with it again? He'd been scorned, and he murdered because of it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.